0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today. To show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show.
2: The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature, which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself, if you dare. Come, inch over closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Still thirsty for blood? Of course, on the Horror Hill, all refills are on the house, but it is that first taste that will cost you. (laughs) if you're tuning in for the first time I highly encourage you to listen to last week's episode for chapters one through five before sinking your teeth into tonight's offering for those of you who've already partaken well far be it from me to keep you waiting and now from author Drew Steppich I give you chapters 6 through chapters 10 and the continuation of Knuckle supper. Chapter 6. Thespians. Bait pulled a shot of her blood out of her backpack. Here. She said, handing me a container. A SpongeBob sippy cup. Sorry, the only way I could figure out how to get it here without dumping it everywhere in my backpack. Reluctantly, I took the shot. ''Okay, babe,'' I said, tapping the brass werewolf knocker against the heavily weathered blackwood door. ''This guy is a little weird.'' I gripped tightly to the heavy duffel bag filled with smack. ''Weird how?'' She wiped her nose on her sleeve, dragging the front of her hair out of her face as she pulled her arm away. How much weirder can he be than the rest of the losers you've introduced me to? She blew at the strand of hair in an attempt to get it to return to the rest of her messy mop. I had no right to say anyone was unkempt, but... Yeah, bait was pretty much a pig. Just be quiet until he gets the chance to pick up your scent. I'm sure he'll like you. As far as people like us go, he's very tame. Okay, what's his name? She crossed her eyes. The lock of hair was now sticking straight out from her face. She blew more profusely, but since the hard-boiled hair hunk refused to comply, and because it somehow managed to mix with snot, it just shot further and further up like a unicorn's horn. I licked my hand. God damn it, bait. Not wanting to touch her, I quickly pushed the hair down and back into place as best I could. His name is Eldritch. Would you stop being such a... She bucked out her teeth and shook her head.
1: Twelve-year-old?
2: Yeah. Yeah, you talk about how street you are, but you act like... Before I could finish my lecture on booger-wiping in public, the large door crept open on its own to reveal an oversized an overpriced, eye ceiling loft. The main room was only lit by a few candles. Without missing a beat, Bate bravely stepped in and looked behind the door to see who had opened it. I thought he knew we were coming. She turned back and surveyed the room that was decorated with bad vampire movie cliches. Oh, he knows we're coming, all right, I sighed. She stepped in a little further, upped her hands around her mouth and shouted...
1: "'Hello!'
2: Her voice, combined with lame, goth music, echoed and bounced off the cathedral ceilings. I put my hand over my mouth. "'Shut up! Go sit over there!' I pointed across the room to an area of red Victorian couches. Frustrated, she stomped across the hardwood floor of the loft to the couches like a brat whose mother wouldn't buy her a pack of gummy bears while waiting in line at the supermarket." Being the megalomaniac that he was, Eldritch had his acting sizzle reel playing on several TVs that were framed and set up like magic mirrors around the room. The reel was synced on all the TVs. It pathetically showed him acting in bit parts, intermixed with him playing with swords, shooting fireballs from his eyes, and, vigilantly, overlooking Los Angeles from the tops of old, gothic buildings. Feeling a migraine developing, I massaged my temples as I walked over to the spiral marble staircase leading to the master's suite. Eldritch! I called up the stairs. It's RJ! I looked back at Bate, who, in the ten seconds that I wasn't scolding her, had managed to make her way across the room to a large structure that was covered by an embroidered scarlet velvet drape. She bent over and lifted the drape in a half-assed attempt to see what was hidden underneath. I clapped my hands and hissed. Get back on the couch. Startled, she dropped the drape and returned to her upright position. Shooting knives at me with her stare, she mouthed. What? I pointed back to the couch, this time snapping my fingers to show authority. She decided to give me the finger. How this little shit wasn't killed by a pimp or a john was mind-numbing. Just then... The music in the room intensified at the crescendo before the chorus. Hundreds of candles flared up around the room. Startled by a living human shrine that lit up last in the corner, Bates scurried back to the couch and sat up straight. Knowing the curtain had been lifted and the show was about to begin, I followed her lead and plopped myself onto the couch next to her. She pointed to the lethargic body in the corner. What is that? she whispered. Just shut up and watch. Incense and smoke, I'd guess originating from a fan blowing a dry ice machine, materialized from an open doorway at the top of the stairs. Growing shadow broadcasting from a red light bulb engulfed the room as Eldritch's white, high cheekbone face appeared from what he must have figured was the beyond. The pulsating sound of a vox organ followed his steps as he seemingly floated from the perched room. I tried to close my eyes so their blatant rolling at the spectacle would go largely unnoticed. Trainwreck. Half-assed. Overdramatic. None of those words properly described Eldritch. Eldritch stood about six foot six. Not the biggest guy I'd ever seen, but big enough. Still hovering he floated down the winding stairs, candles to his left and right illuminating as he passed them. His medieval metal fingernails clamped onto each of his digits, including his thumbs, brushed the faux antiqued handrails of the staircase, reflecting small rays of light that were being projected out of motion-controlled track lasers. I looked down at Bate to get a feel for how she was accepting the production. She rubbed her eyes, probably trying to get the overpowering density of patchouli and the sting of street urchin incense out, and looked up at me. "'He's hot,' she whispered. Eldritch continued his descent into the living room. Over his shoulders was a coat made from a white wolf that puffed up so that the eyes of the dead animal covered his own. The only thing not covered on his face was his jaw and carved chin line.' Almost in tempo with the music, he smirked, dragging his tongue across his metallic fangs. The front of the fur opened to reveal every bony protrusion and muscle on his lanky but carved torso and waist. Just below his hip bones, he wore a pair of skin-tight leather pants that looked aged enough to be an auction item from Jim Morrison's estate. But I figured they came from the Jim Morrison collection at an Armani exchange. As the rest of his body came out of the smoke, of bondage-strapped creepers finished off his ensemble that could only be described as counterfeit at best. He walked over to us, withdrawing the wolf's head from his face. His long, ebony hair swirled around him and fell perfectly down to the middle of his back. "'Greetings, my friend,' his bottomless voice boomed. I stood up as he reached us, kicking bait to do the same she seemed to be under a spell fixated on his greasy pecs while she ascended slowly her head barely reached Eldritch's abdomen he moved toward me for an embrace derailing him before he got too close to my personal space I put up my hand to shake dumbfounded but used to the treatment Eldritch grabbed my hand Rather than bringing me in for a full European-style reception, he settled for the less touchy chest-to-chest bump. I didn't find it too disrespectful. After all, I just sat through a spectacle that combined the resurrection of Christ with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm sure the vampy teens that aligned themselves in Eldritch's Legion, the Nightcrawlers, thought it was pretty awesome. I knew better. I was there at least once a month, and this was the first time I'd ever seen that particular production. Eldridge turned his attention to Bate, who was still enchanted by his theatrics. And this must be the young damsel you spoke of. With one clawed hand, he lifted her chin, and with his other hand, he brought her down-turned hand upward. He bent over and kissed it controlling her like a marionette he brushed her hand down his makeup emphasized cheekbone and pulled her close lifting her so her ear was close to his mouth he whispered are you the trick or the treat?" bates eyes rolled back and her mouth panted jesus come on i grabbed bates arm and dragged her close to me what the fuck dude I yelled, trying to stabilize bait as she stumbled back to her feet. She's got fucking snot in her hair. Why are you so mean? She shrieked, pulling from my grip. I'm pretty, RJ. She kicked her foot up and back and pulled off her horseshoe. Then she started thumping away at my crotch with it. Joke was on her. I invested in a cop immediately after I told her she could move in. As if I needed Eldridge's help to fend off a hundred-pound-when-soaking-wet little girl, he heroically came to my rescue by tranquilly placing his hand on her shoulder, his signature spellbinder. He lit a close cigarette that materialized out of nowhere in his mouth. It is nothing to fight about, young temptress. Sir R.J. simply marking his territory. They calmed and returned the shoe to her foot. I rolled my head back and closed my eyes. The combination of smoke, red lights, incense, and overall gayness were making my head throb more. I exhaled as much of the bullshit in the room as I could and bounced my head back into position. First, I looked down at Bate. Calm the fuck down, please. I'm sorry that I don't get excited when a grown man makes sexy talk with a little girl. Then I proceeded to Eldridge, towered over me. As for you, can we get down to business here? This isn't a casting call for your next wannabe victim, dude. Eldridge stood his ground, snarling with his steel fangs. Not really wanting to have the guy rip me in half, I turned away from his stare and looked down at Bate. In an attempt to look threatening, she snarled as she pawed at me. She looked more like a kitten, batting at a moth than any creature from the streets of Los Angeles. I laid the duffel bag on the elaborate coffee table that separated us. Can you take this for me or would you rather have no part in this? Eldritch extended his long arm to the handles and placed the bag on his lap. Using the end of one of his talons he unzipped the bag revealing the contents. He looked up at me and smirked. Coke. Have a sample. He split one of the ten pound bags open. "'slit some blood out of his finger and let it drip into his claw. "'He then scooped out a dollop and raised it to his nose for a sniff. "'He set his head back slightly and clinched the opposite nostril "'and sucked it into his throat. "'He waited a minute, then shook his head. "'Heroin? "'You say this came from blue-blood peries?' "'Uh, kind of. "'What are you wearing?' Fate interrupted as she petted Eldritch's fur cloak, still on his shoulders. He turned away from our adult conversation and rebooted his charade. "'It is the pelt of the Arctic wolf. I was raised by this victim's enemy pack in the northernmost mountains of Canada. I took his hide as a trophy when we took his pack's den. He brought the pelt in around his shoulders as if the phony flashback was traumatizing.' It was during the coldest of arctic winters. Bate curled her feet under her and her eyes lit up. You were raised by wolves? Some say I'm part lichen, he boasted. No one has ever said that, Eldritch. Ever. Bate put her finger to her lips and faintly shushed me. She stroked the fake pelt and sang out the word. Lichen... I didn't have the heart to take away her excitement. Truth be told, Eldridge was born and raised in a cabin outside of Duluth. He moved to L.A. to become an actor. Unfortunately for him, he was so terrified of the light that he could never make it to any auditions other than the few Z-grade monster movies and standard cable shitfests I saw in his dumb sizzle reel when we walked in. Bates, can you give us a few minutes, please? This is somewhat important, I said. Eldritch returned his attention to me. Okay, RJ, what does kind of mean? Well, you know I kind of owe King Cobra for the habit burning down his place and all? Yes. I flicked at my thumb. Well, Dez and I were kind of told by the snakes to kill this BBP dude and the two cops he was snitching to. Eldridge threw the bag back on the table, creating a small poof of heroin that drifted through the air like a light snowstorm. He crossed his legs tightly, placed his elbow on his knee and his face in his hand. He scratched at his right cheekbone with his index claw, smearing some of his makeup. So... "'I assume this pillaged bag of heroin was supposed to go to the battle snakes after you disposed of the snitch? "'Are you telling me that you and your comrade Des have decided to stiff them? "'Have you gone mad, man?' "'It's not what you think, Eldritch,' I assured him as I attempted to catch some of the smack floating around the air on my tongue. "'They have no idea this BBP jackass was asking for heroin from the pigs instead of coke.' Here is a question, R.J. Why would a BBP be getting so much? He retreated from his relaxed listening position and opened the bag again and counted. One, two, three. He looked back at me. A dreamy-eyed bait continued to pet Eldridge's pelt. It's fifty, she said. Fifty pounds. Eldridge shook his head and pointed his index claw at me. Why would the BBPs or the Battlesnakes want 50 pounds of heroin? Have you even begun to think about that? They have no use for it. What happened to the rest of it? Did the Knucklers have a party I wasn't invited to? Well, we've been dealing it in Culver City. As far as why it isn't coke, I figured maybe it was a mistake. Maybe that's all the cops could swipe from the evidence room. Alfred searched his thoughts. Or maybe the Battlesnakes are thinking about getting into the heroin business and disposing of the Knucklers altogether. What is their take from the Knucklers dealing? I counted on my fingers. I, I don't know, fifty, sixty percent? Well, seeing as how you have such an outstanding relationship with King Cobra, you know, the burning of his home and friends and all, I think... It is safe to say that the knucklers have seen their last hurrah on the streets of Los Angeles. Why don't they just bring that 40 or 50% in-house? You have been set up, RJ. How do you see it? I lugged the duffel bag off the table. We have the drugs. Besides, there's a code of conduct on the streets. We all live somewhat in harmony. Right? Bate interrupted again. I knew there was a vampire law. Shut up, Bate. Go fuck off somewhere. Bate propelled herself from Eldridge's side. Hmm. She started looking around the room filled with romantic oil paintings and Baroque frames and religious statues that he splattered with blood or red paint. I couldn't really tell which, but I bet it was paint. Eldridge closed his eyes and got to his feet. Foolish. They wanted you to steal the drugs. That way, the battlesnakes have a reason to kill all of you without having them look like they've broken any rules. He began walking towards his shrine in the corner and looked back. Besides, you and I both know there are no rules. Sitting in the corner on a throne-tight chair that matched the rest of the decor in the room as a young man with his eyes rolled back, The figure's lips quivered every so often, but it was clear that he was in a comatose state. Drool dripped from his lips down to his chest and connected with one of the many flexible snake pipes that were plugged into all his major veins. hooked to his arm was an IV drip of opium. Eldritch knelt in front of his semi-living victim and lit a water-filled sphere embedded in the chest cavity. As he heated up the blood and opium, he placed one of the hoses in his mouth, flipping a valve that was placed halfway down the pipe. He sucked, and smoke manifested from the corners of his lips. He smiled, sucked the toxin into his lungs, waited a second, and then puffed smoke rings straight into the air. Bate made her way over to the coma victim. She waved her hands in front of his eyes and mushed his mouth around with her thumb. ''Is this guy alive?'' She finally asked. Ignoring her, Eldritch looked back to me. You genuinely want me to hide these drugs that you have taken from the most dangerous gang in Los Angeles? I regretfully decline, R.J. What? I threw my arms up in frustration. Don't be such a pussy, Eldritch. I like pussy, he said, extending his tongue out between his fingers. I am what I eat, he winked at Bay Bates' right leg sprung up behind her and she began to blush. "'She's twelve, molestro!' I yelled across the room as I stood up and started walking over to them. I grabbed the pipe out of Elkridge's hand and toked away. The taste was putrid, almost as if he'd filtered the opium-filled blood with perfume before it entered the bowl. "'Please do this for me,' I let out with a hookah load and blew it in his face." eldridge grabbed the hose back from me and took a quick hit because i call you friend he said we will decide on this matter like men he inhaled the smoke Bates' hand nodded the comatose victim's head around like a bobblehead toy and excitedly said a fight oh you're so dead rj eldridge dropped the hose and blew out his last drag He ethereally clamped on to Bates' wrist to settle her down. ''It is actually more of a duel than a fight, young one.'' He dropped her arm to her side. ''It is the duel of gentlemen.'' Her eyes widened as she followed him across the room, only to look back at me and stick her tongue out. She clinched on to a piece of Eldritch's wolf coat thing like he had her on a leash. ''Do you fight with swords or axes or something?'' She pointed to one of the monitors, showing his sizzle reel. Can I use that big sword? Eldritch arrived at the red cloth-covered object in the room. They daintily bounced on her toes. Is this your coffin? she asked. Eldritch simply smiled and romantically stripped the shroud into the air with one hand as he used his other to spotlight his showpiece. Lights turned on as a faint humming sound rumbled at our feet. "'The majesty of the professional-sized brush-metal phenomenon was open for all eyes to see. "'As the cover fell behind him, he announced, "'Air hockey.' "'I never thought many of Eldritch's things were cool, "'but this was the sole reason I came to his place all the time. "'There was nothing better than getting wasted for free "'and playing ghetto hockey on his ginormous table.' To prevent it from getting demolished up by our vampy power, he reinforced the frame with steel, which also fit the other furnishings in the house. Although I didn't think one way or the other about all that garbage, I loved this table. It was perfectly level, and he always kept it in top shape so that the hoverability of the pucks never died out or got sticky. Disappointed, Bate turned to study a picture of Eldritch dressed as Count Cracula. I flipped my personal paddle out of my back pocket and whirled it around in front of me. Eldritch opened an old safe cloaked behind a painting of him naked and covered in blood with a bunch of white wolves. In the safe were half a dozen paddles that he tailored for his large hands. "'I will go with Mozart today,' he announced, plucking his paddle from the safe." We played air hockey for about four hours while Bates slept upstairs on Eldritch's elephant coffin waterbed. For the record, I beat him 13 games to 12. In about the middle of the third game, he decided to hide the drugs from me and make drops for Bates to pick up.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Chapter
2: 7. Imposters. It was Halloween night in Los Angeles. Contrary to popular belief, it got really fall-like that year. The leaves changed color and the wind picked up on most nights. So much so that thick tree limbs lined the streets. It never made for a solid sewage system during rainy winters because most of the shit filled the drains, causing neighborhood flooding everywhere. From what I read and had seen on TV and the internet, I only guessed what winter and fall were like in the rest of the world. I'd never seen real snow, and despite my physical aversion to sun and heat, I hated the cold. My body was always cold enough for me. Bate had been staying with me for around four months, and although the plan was to have her lead Johns back to my place, it didn't end up that way. I tried to justify her being alive, saying that she had become quite a housekeeper, In all reality, her version of upkeep and labor involved running a vacuum across the hardwood floors only long enough to carelessly chip and scratch them. It was hardly worthy of room and board. But she was doing her part with the stolen drugs. She had become a solid go-between and her involvement seemingly kept us off the Battlesnake's radar. Des didn't see the point of her being able to breathe another day at all. As the antagonism grew between them, the questions about her relevance increased and drove Des and me further apart. Beyond anything else, he was pissed off that I never asked him to stay with me unless he was too faded to get out before daylight rolled around. I truly felt bad because, well, after all, he was like a brother to me. However, what didn't seem to register with him was that Bate was a brittle human girl living on the streets. He, on the other hand, was this otherworldly street hustler who always managed to land on his feet, especially when killing to get ahead was involved. I was only worried about Dez surviving when he was first jumped in. After that, he seemed fine once off the rat blood and on his own. As for Halloween, I guess I didn't have the right to comment on the holiday much at all because I never remembered being a kid, but I never liked Halloween. It wasn't as much about me getting angry about a bunch of punk asses around the world mocking my disease as much as it was the spectacle of Halloween in Hollywood. However, it didn't irritate me as much as the holiday being hijacked by adults. When did little girls dressing as princesses become abused porn stars dressed as drunken whores? Chances were pretty good that I would never have to answer the door to a gaggle of kids to give them candy, because they didn't trick or treat in my neighborhood anyway. Seeing how I lived in a predominantly Orthodox Jewish area, Halloween was frowned upon. Besides, for all intents and purposes, I was a serial killer, so it was better they just stayed away. I had enough stupid kids in my life. The Jewish version of Halloween in my area was called Purim and it took place in mid-March. When it rolled around yearly, it was less about dressing as box office superheroes, demons, wizards, and vamps, and more about them celebrating their religion. Sure, it always involved getting wasted, dressing up and feasting, but I always likened it more to Mardi Gras. I was never sure if it was a recognized part of the Jewish holiday calendar, because it seemed unorthodox. I saw the conventional Jewish people more like vampires than Christians because of their strict adherence to the following of the Shabbat, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, their closeness with their family, and their overall demeanor. The orthodox traditions, for the most part, generated internally, and to some extent so are vampire gang traditions. Fact. Our existence depends on drugs and blood. Also a fact. Their existence is based on their spirituality. Although I would never consider a religion a gang, they still follow a pack system much like we do. The most obvious comparison would be that you can't make someone an Orthodox Jew. Marrying an outsider is considerably frowned upon. With us, we can't bite someone's neck and make them vamp out. Which brings us back to bait. She doesn't belong. Not so much that it's a private club or that we think we're too good
1: for her. She just didn't belong. Bates
2: stood in the hallway while I cut and packed some meat in the kitchen. Her arms were behind her back, so I didn't know what to expect from her. I wasn't afraid she was going to try to kill me, but I sometimes wish she would put me out of my misery always full of childish surprises. The end result more often than not turned out to be something preposterous like a friendship bracelet. She pouted and scratched her legs together like a cricket. I tried to ignore her, but she began clearing her throat to get my undivided attention. Without turning toward her, I asked, "'Can I help you?' "'I'm busy. Whatever it is that you want, I'm hoping that it can wait.' I licked some au jus off a cutlet that I had just spent the better part of a half hour carefully filleting. She stayed in the hallway, remaining silent, only grunting every so often to remind me that she needed to be the center of attention. After about two more minutes of becoming increasingly provoked, I accidentally sliced through my finger. I stuffed the digit in my mouth. Shit! I then wrapped a paper towel around the cut. What bait? What do you want? While staring at the ground, Bate mumbled in a baby voice. What are you doing? Are you carving a pumpkin? I lifted the butcher knife and licked the blade. Does it look like I'm carving a pumpkin? Is there a pumpkin anywhere in this house? Please, tell me you're not hiding a pumpkin behind your back. With her face still fixated on the door, she murmured, I don't know. Her baby voice was much more exaggerated than usual. Somehow, between when I spoke to her earlier that day in this conversation, she had managed to develop several speech disorders, including those of, but not limited to, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, and Daffy Duck. When anyone, namely a 12 year old, replaces an R with a W, it's enough to drive any parent to homicide. What do you mean, I don't know? She rubbed her nose on her shoulder, as not to reveal the mind-bending secret concealed behind her back. I dropped the knife on the counter, to which she curled a slight smirk out of the corner of her dopey mouth. The pale moats that surrounded her freckles went flush. Unbeknownst to her, I put down the knife not because she had won the war, but because I was afraid she might lose her life if she continued... What, bait? what in the hell do you want? She pulled out one of her arms from behind her back. You haven't done your shot today. I eyeballed the knife. It was so close. Is that what this is all about? Who cares? I care, she whimpered, and I have something else. I ignored the knife and walked to her. I bent down, took the shot from her hand, and downed it. Hmm. Delicious, bait. I handed her back the empty shot glass. Are you starting to feel more human? She asked. Not really how it works. I eat human blood all the time. Truth be told, her blood was becoming a cleansing addition to my days, but comparing it to a regular person drinking water or juicing would be a stretch. Even if it was just a thirst quencher, it was a good one. So, what's the big to do? What's the other secret? She wiped her nose in her sleeve. It's just, let's have it, bait. I insisted, wanting desperately to get back to chopping meat. Today is my birthday. First of all, enough with the baby talk. Secondly, happy birthday. You're what, 14 or something today? I never celebrated my birthday because, frankly, I never had any idea when I was born. If you can even call how I ended up walking around being born. Maybe I was the result of some experiment where a redneck fucked a raccoon. I'm 13. Your birthday is on Halloween. That's cool. I suppose. Do you want some candy or something? She pulled the other hand from behind her back and thrust it in my face. "'I got this for you!' It was the iPod. "'That's your iPod, and I don't want that. "'Besides, you didn't get it from me. "'You'd best keep it. "'It's the only way I know how to get you to shut up.' She scuffed her slippers across the floor that she trashed with the vacuum on a weekly basis and put the iPod in my hand. I looked at it for a second and then returned it to her hand. I don't want this bait. You stole it, so it belongs to you. You know, finder's keeper's law and all that? Well, I did get it for you. I took all of your records and made them into MP3s. She handed it to me again. Now you don't have to make a huge mess all over the floor. God forbid I should make a mess that requires cleaning from a guest in my house whose job is to clean it up. I put the ear button and scrolled to a song. How did you do this? I figured out how to do it on your computer, and I've been putting your records on it for the past month while you've been sleeping. The songs were intact. I scrolled to another that I knew was particularly battered and pushed play. All of the snaps and pops and grains were there. It was my turn to smile i uh um. I I don't know what to say. This is awesome. She lit up. I also found this website where you can download a bunch of this stuff for free. I bookmarked it on your computer. But it's your birthday. I fumbled around in my back pockets, hoping to find some money. Instead, I found a losing lottery scratcher and, for some weird reason, a guitar pick. I couldn't for the life of me remember where I got it. I had no use for it. I never learned to play the guitar, so I guess the victim I got the jeans from was a rad hatchet dude. Coming up empty, I fixated into her eyes, trying to figure out what she wanted in return. She wasn't as easy to read as I thought. I don't really have anything to give you. I'm sorry. I took this... From under her shirt, she pulled out a necklace she'd made from my favorite titanium-45 adapter and a piece of string that I used to securely wrap my meat after I covered it in paper grocery bags. I should have been pissed because I hated using the yellow plastic inserts, but rather than act ungrateful, I realized that I had no use for it any longer. That's super cool. Is there anything else you want? I asked, not expecting anything more. I was suddenly preoccupied with my new toy. She had not only transferred all my 45s, including the B-sides, onto the iPod, but she also found all the cover art for the records and put them all in by name and categorized the singles by bands. I later realized the iPod does all that shit automatically, but it seemed like a big deal at the time. Seriously. Anything you want. For a third time, she reached behind her back and pulled out a crumpled page from the L.A. Weekly and handed it to me. Not automatically noticing the advertisement that she circled with a marker, I studied the ad. The entire page was filled with commercials for medical marijuana, escort services, and strip clubs. Seeing how vampires can't read minds, the first ignorant thing that came out of my mouth was... I think you need to be 18 to work at a strip club. Not 12. She corrected me. 13. Right. You're still too young. Not that. She came up to the page and pointed to the ad she circled. This. I closed my eyes and exhaled. I didn't want to disappoint her after all the trouble she went through, but it was asking more than I wanted to give. Oh, uh, mm, uh I, I can't do this, I stammered. She tapped her index finger up and down on the newsprint. I read the ad again. Club Thirst presents the first annual vampire Samhain Ball. Goth, fetish, dark wave, industrial. Surrounded by a frame of skulls, there was a picture of a romantic looking vampire peering over the shoulder of a woman wearing a Victorian dress. His fangs dripped with blood, and he was winking to all the suckers who read the ad. Forty fucking dollars!' I yelled, reading the small print located at the bottom of the page. "'Are you kidding me?' "'Come on, RJ,' she pleaded. "'It's my birthday, and I gave you a cool gift. "'Besides, I know I can get in. "'I was told they don't card people.' "'No. These places bug the shit out of me. "'Besides... Halloween night will just be that much worse than any other stupid night. She got on her knees and placed her hands together as if she were praying. Pretty please. Look, she said, pointing to another part of the ad. One dollar blood shooters. I couldn't bear to read another word in the ad. I'll bet that it's either a bloody Mary in a shot glass or grenadine and booze in a test tube. Please give it a chance. I want to see real vampires. I crumpled up the page and threw it at her nose. Real vampires are me. The ad clung on to the white-dyed streak in the front of her hair like Velcro. She swatted it away. How many times do I have to tell you that I am a real vampire? But I want to see more vampires like Eldritch. You know, romantic and clean. Thankfully, the phone rang. I sniffed my armpit on my way to pick it up. I was clean. Wasn't I? I answered the phone, happy to escape the current conversation. Hello? Hey, RJ, it's Tahoe. What are you doing for Halloween? Wanna go kill people? I went back to avoiding eye contact with Bate. I knew she was back to her forgotten birthday moping. Don't really feel like killing or going out at all... I hate Halloween. Like a girl left dateless on Valentine's Day, I usually stayed in. Instead of a love story and a pint of ice cream, however, I usually had some microwaved blood and heroin. Maybe I'd watch a horror movie. Bates started tugging on my shirt and for some unlikely reason, or maybe guilt because she had given me such a thoughtful gift, I gave in. God Damn it. Ugh. I'm thinking about going to this stupid club in Hollywood called Club Thirst. I heard whatever Tahoe had in his mouth spit across the room. You're kidding, right? Unfortunately, no. Bate has some desire to see what real vampires are like. You dummy, RJ. That's that stupid place where your butt-buddy Eldritch recruits members for the nightcrawlers. I covered the phone and signaled for Bate to get ready. She chirped away, delighted, kicking the newspaper page in front of her. She banged her hands on the wall like she was a drill sergeant waking up a bunch of recruits at boot camp. Halfway down the hall, she lost her balance and slipped on the floor that remained unmopped. She bounced back up as quickly as she hit the floor and crawled into the bathroom. You're kidding me, Tahoe. I shit you not. I thought he picked those kids up off the street of the mall. No way, bro, Tahoe said. Once he convinces them he's the real deal, he brings them back to his place. He either hooks them up to that hookah thing or he has them to be his slaves. Trying to trick the big ox, I injected. You want to come with us? Oh, fuck no. Then don't tell anyone I'm going... Bate hasn't gotten us any victims yet and I'm sure you know better than me that the shit talking about my leadership is running rampant um that's actually why I called Dez has been talking a lot of smack what's he saying and stop talking with your mouth full of food
1: <sighs>
2: it's all his chest pounding about the money he and the Desians are bringing in with the Battlesnake's heroin and culver really just a second. I beat the earpiece in the kitchen counter, shaking off my anger, but not before getting a good fuck out of my mouth. Take it easy, RJ. No one is listening to him. It's not that. If he has the balls to talk shit about me to you guys, how long is it going to be before he slips to someone else? How long before he confides in his good pal Copperhead and lets everyone know what we're doing? Jesus. Why doesn't that scrawny little bitch just start his own gang with those idiot followers of his and the battle fakes? Like I said, no one's listening. Not the point, Tahoe. Well, why are you taking the kid to a club tonight? I think she's cool and all, but it's her fucking birthday, dude. I hung up the phone only to be sprayed from behind. I turned around and saw Bate holding a blood drop shaped glass bottle. I wiped the liquid off my neck. Ugh, what is this? It smells rancid. She read me the bottle. It's Nightshade. The essence of El Byron Nightshade. I shook my head. She rubbed her thumb on the bottle. He's that hot vampire from the Nightshade series. I snatched the bottle out of her hand and smelled the syrup she violated me with. The red bottle had a pyramid spike wristband around the neck, and the product name was written in Gothic typeface. In the center, on the back, was the silhouette of the same messy-haired asshole that I kidded Des about on the Samsung fire escape. I gagged. Oh, God. It smells like ass in a fish concert. I smell like a stinky, rotten hippie. I felt the stench coming out of all my pores as it stung my nose like I was snorting a line of bees. Bate grabbed the bottle back and put it in her pocket. I like it. It's what all the vampires wear. As we waited in line to get in, I remembered what Club Thirst used to be back in the day. In the early 80s, it was a roller boogie rink called TJ Hustlers. I think I may have killed some jackass in their back when I was still aimlessly wandering around the streets. Somewhat ashamed that my legacy and traditions had been reduced to a fading and distorted trend perpetuated by pop culture movies, TV shows, and books, I elected to grin and bear it rather than slaughtering everyone around. Bait, done up in another of her outfits, bought with my hard-earned money, rubbernecked while we waited, taking in every word and mannerism of the carnival of blockheads. This outfit was more risque than her last... A tight-laced dress was accentuated by a pair of knee-high, stiletto-heeled boots. It was a disgusting outfit for a 13-year-old. And I decided that if I did run into Eldridge, then I was going to borrow whatever ridiculous coat he was wearing to cover her. I wasn't sure, but I think she might have washed her hair and blown her nose before we left the house, because her hair was combed out of its usual frantic, matted-shit style. And... As far as I could tell, there wasn't a buildup of snot on her naked arm. After she had her hand stamped, I still have no idea to this day how she got into the club, Bate clomped her way into the bar. The doorman then frisked me and shouted, Dress code required! I guess that like many of the other bar patrons, he had recently made the transition from white-ass hippie hopper to vampire. I brushed any lint off the front of my body. Uh, what are we talking about, bro? He decided to get all hard ass on me. I'm not your bro, friend. Okay. What are you referring to? I took a second look at my outfit. There weren't any rips. I wasn't wearing a hoodie. I wasn't wearing a bandana. Nothing gang-related. As a matter of fact, I was wearing a yellow cramps shirt and a new pair of stolen jeans. I was even wearing shoes rather than flip-flops, which was rare for me. Desperately flexing his biceps under his mesh Danzig shirt, he pointed to a sign above the entrance and then read it aloud, dictating his authority. Vampire, gothic, and fetish attire required. Strictly enforced. Read the last part, friend. He brushed strands from a long black wig out of his face. Strictly enforced, I replied. "'Here, dick. Here's fifty large. Take the extra ten and go buy yourself some vitamins or something.' He stepped up to me. "'You got something to say?' I didn't stand down. "'How do you know what a vampire dresses like, you troglodyte?' Probably not knowing what troglodyte meant, he opted to grab my shirt by the collar. He then backed up his fist to punch me or scare me or something.' I shook him off as a voice from behind him called out, Hey, Mizuko, boss wants to see you. Being the tough guy that he was, the doorman went in for a punch but retracted by saying, "Psych." Before the pop reached my jaw, he flattened his palm as if to instruct me to talk to the hand. You're lucky this time, faggot, he added, snatching the fifty bucks out of my hand. To his dismay, no one in the long line behind me was cheering him on. Even those fakes realized what a douche he was. I was going to remember that name. Mazuko. And the stench of chili cheese fries that accompanied it. The other bouncer relieved him and stamped my hand. Don't worry about him, he assured me with a pat on the back. Zuko gets all broid-raged sometimes. I patted him back and winked. Shocker. "'Yeah, have a good time, mate.' "'He handed me some plastic fangs. "'This will help your costume. "'Thanks.' "'I unwrapped the novelty teeth, put them in my mouth, "'and then grabbed a pair of earplugs out of my pockets. "'The music was clearly too damn loud for my delicate ears. "'The edges of the bridge of the teeth cut into my gums, "'and almost instantly my mouth filled with spit.' I was glad that being a dead person didn't involve having fangs. As I put my wallet back into my pants, the self-appointed leader of a gaggle of Halloweenies bumped into me. "'Hey!' I said. He snorted at me like a dandy. "'Hey, buddy.' His face was painted white with blackened cheekbones and runny eye makeup. "'Nice costume, jerk.' Sighing, I smiled. "'It's pretty lame, huh?' one of the gang joined in. Spit much? What's up with the earplugs, cramps? After a flurry of high fives, they entered the ballroom of Club Thirst in single-file line. Calves to the slaughter, I thought. I followed them with a mission to track down bait. I disbanded my fangs in a potted plant that appropriately housed a dead rose bush. The inside of TJ Hustlers had changed drastically from its original roller boogie decor. It was still round, only they took out the roller ring floor and replaced it with black tile. The wall that was used as a safety net for those not so light on their skates looked like it was smashed with a sledgehammer to emulate decay and painted headstone gray. The seats which I imagined used to be the plastic side-by-side seating that surrounded the rink behind the walls, were torn out and replaced by tables and chairs that matched the re-envisioned, spurious design. On both sides of the room, where the snack bars and video games used to be, there were now two bars. They served up fake absinthe and vodka cranberries. T.J. Hustlers, I thought. God... Was that a great name? Instead of shooting the duck, the dance moves of the week were something recycled from another 80s staple. Dead Can Dance. The new abomination dance combined washing windows, changing the light bulb, and being stuck in a coffin. It was all so mundane that I wanted to plow through the clones doing the gorilla, but I remembered it wasn't my day killing some wannabes who had no idea who or what they wanted to be other than what they were told wasn't in my cards. I scanned the club through a sea of fucktards and saw Bate already dancing with some idiot. Unlike the more traditional camp and trampers, he was rolling in the newer breed regalia. He was a brooding young cover boy with a pompadour tuft. His dark eyes looked like they were ready to burst into tears at any moment, but his confident arrogance said he could handle his demons. I looked at his shirt, strategically ripped and bleached, convinced that it wouldn't fit around my thigh. Tying up the outfit was a pair of nicely pressed, pinstripe suit pants. "'It's almost Sunday!' a flamboyant kid yelled into my ear. "'I'm going to be up all night. I'm totally rolling my ass off!' He fanned himself with his hands his fluffy black hair stuck to his face that was smeared from a horrible dye job i was probably the only one in the club without black hair my hair was shit short and dirty blonde i looked like no one in the cure past or present me too said a bigger gal in a corset who fought against the rhythm of the song blaring on the sound system it was difficult to tell if she had no sense of timing or if it was as simple as she was on so much E that her mind was playing a completely different tune altogether. If that was the case, I'm sure the song sucked. Giggling echoed from across the room. My attention returned to Bait, as I was sure she was the perfect outsider for this tribe to team up on and mock. I was correct. Unbeknownst to her, a bunch of them, including the dreamy doofus she was dancing with, Encircled her on the dance floor as she robotically powered her way through one tween absorbed hip hop dance after another. Was she really a hooker? It was truly pathetic. I figured I'd let it continue a bit longer to teach her a lesson, as if she didn't already know how mean people were from her single day of junior high. I cautiously walked toward her spotlight dance. As I was about to terminate the spectacle, however, I was stopped in my tracks by the reverberating sound of a finger snap. Without questioning the source, the crowd dispersed as Bate continued her stomping running man that wouldn't have been acceptable if it were performed as a joke to show how dumb white people are in a sitcom. Behind Bate, on an elevated table, was the source of the snap. Eldritch. He glanced at me as his talons tickled the arms of the catbird seat he aloofly fell into. I nodded at him and he nodded back, letting me know that he had everything under control. As soon as I was reassured that he had Bates back, pretty boy Johnny Darko crept up behind and tripped her. Quickly, before either Eldridge or I could have swallowed the guy up, he made his way over to the bar not to be easily defeated by the embarrassment of busting ass or by the pointing and giggling whispers of the the dead-for-the-weekend USC students. She tromped up behind him and grabbed his gelled hair. She slammed him into the bar. What the fuck, asshole? His stomach smashed into a tray full of what was almost surely the alchemistic blood shooter I had read about in the modern Necronomicon known as the L.A. Weekly with his perfectly messed hair filled with plastic test tube shards he lashed back sweeping her leg a second time sending her back to the floor I didn't hesitate I made my way over to the scene bumping off of the girls spitting to the latest dark wave drek that DJ Destitute spun on the wheels of Surreal I picked Bait off the ground she was about to burst into tears I thought he liked me it's cool Bane that guy's an asshole johnny darko spat bar drippings in my ear who you call an asshole old man behind him was a gang of his own deciding to take a night away from video games and who felt pushing buttons on a controller entitled them to act tough in the real world my world i spun bait behind me let it go pal i said yeah this time he concluded this time she's just a dumb kid anyway Bate tried to paw and scratch past me with her painted black press-on nails. I'm not a kid, motherfucker. Kill him, R.J. Show him what you're really like. I pulled her back to me and cupped my hand over her mouth. Giddy up, boys. Nothing to see here. They turned as instructed and Johnny dismissed us with a flutter of his hand. Dumb, he said. Have you had enough, Bait? You were right, R.J. Can we go home now? Yeah, I looked over to Eldritch, nodded at him, and then again at Johnny Darko. Eldritch nodded back. It was almost certain that idiot wouldn't be returning to his dorm room early on November 1st to take notes from vampire TV shows in his quest to impress young women with the darkest depths of his soul. His soul was either going to be splashed all over the alley behind the club, or become a month-long fixture in Eldritch's veins. Either way, the kid was getting exactly what he deserved. Bait latched onto my arm as we made our way out of the metamorphosed roller-skating rink to unauthentic vampire crypt. It wasn't so much that I disliked humans. It was more that I disliked followers who covered themselves in the facade of loneliness because of a fad transmitted in their tiny little brains. Everything I believed was confirmed for bait. These were the same cocksuckers who called her a whore on her first day of junior high school. The only difference was their costumes. They were true monsters. I tapped the doorman on the shoulder as we exited. Have a nice night, Zugo. I'll be seeing you real soon. Yeah, I'll see you, friend. In hell. He chortled oafishly to the oblivious and self-consumed goths waiting in line. Whatever you say, champ. See you in hell. Before I had the chance to pat myself on the back, I was suddenly face to face with Des. Four of the younger Battlesnakes stood behind him. I made sure I was seeing things correctly. How did you know I was here? I asked. Tahoe told me. I didn't go in because those people make me sick. I thought they made you sick, too. It was easy for him to brag about how much cooler he was than the losers inside Club Thirst. Unfortunately, I was starting to see that Des was substantially more like them than I was, and maybe even more so than Lord Eldritch. Des remained quiet, waiting for me to make any move. He signaled the Battlesnakes behind him with his eyes. I rolled mine back at him as if I couldn't see that he was five deep. Four of which not being knucklers. one of the snakes inched in front of Dez. King Cobra wants to speak with you. I shoved my hand in my pocket, pulled out a wad of bills and the key to my house. I handed the package to Bate. Take a cab back to the house. The Rasta parted our hands before the exchange took place. He wants to see her too. A black Escalade rounded the valet booth. One of the heavies opened the door as another made its way around. As the snake talking to me retrieved the keys, he pushed the parking attendant to the ground by his head. Bate grabbed my arm. All the talk about the battle snakes and how much they hated me since she lived under my roof suddenly became reality to her. As we walked to our chariot, I whispered to Des, ''What the fuck are you thinking?'' ''You told me to set up a meeting.'' Tonight, Des, why would you blindside me like this? It's your fault for coming here on Halloween. Not fully realizing the dark days ahead, I simply ended the conversation with a snide. Thanks, little bro.
1: Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So, finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom. And you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time.
2: Chapter 8 Serpents Why are we here? Bate asked. Her eyes were opened wide with fear and she was breathing like she had just finished a marathon. We were told to wait just outside the Battlesnake's compound after being shanghaied outside of Club Thirst by Baby Snakes and Dez. Yeah, RJ. Please share. Dez, I don't want to have this conversation again. What in the hell did you say to Copperhead? Couldn't this have waited? I talked to him as instructed by you. I told him that you wanted to meet with Cobra. No matter how lame I think you're being, I'm not going to let you show up here unannounced or without me. If I wanted you dead this second, then maybe I should have sent you here alone. Whatever that means. Thanks, though. I need your anorexic ass to back me up against a horde of monstrous black guys. Is your plan to beat them with your purse? Does his mouth dropped as if my tone urinated in his face. Is it possible that he was dumb enough to think he was doing me a favor? I can tell you this much. Cobra ain't happy about this at all. Dez put a cigarette out on his tongue. You can't push him around like you do to me. Um... Back to me. Bait shoved herself between the two of us. Why are we doing this, RJ? It's hard to explain. Remember when you were asking about elders? So, there are elders? Des huffed. Yeah, you little whore. A bunch of mass murdering Rasta elders. Des, shut the fuck up. Look, Bait, I described these guys to you before. They are kind of like. The lead gang. They set up the territories. They control the money, the drugs, and the action. I pushed Bate aside. As for you, Dez, I hope to Christ your little followers aren't getting all diarrhea-mouthed about what's going on in Culver City. <laughs> Dez snarked, discrediting my accusations the Battlesnake's compound was an old string of row houses in downtown LA that they had gutted and connected. They used to have a warehouse close to Koreatown, but someone burned that down along with a couple of members. The cops never bothered them because King Cobra had allegedly made a deal with them to keep traditional Los Angeles bangers and other undesirables off the streets. In that sense, they were lucky. I suppose the cops had been convinced that at one point they could be turned and become eternal. Sometimes humans are so dumb. But to the snakes' credit, they were in charge. I hated dealing with the battle snakes, especially face-to-face. Usually, Dez and Copperhead, Cobra's vice-principal, figured out all the details of what we owed and where we were allowed to hunt. Now it was the three of us against them. Seeing as how I was always nervous around these jokers, I wished a little muscle like Tahoe were with us. I was pissed off at him, too. His fucking big-ass mouth, that was most likely filled with food, was the reason we were in this predicament to begin with. This is bad, RJ. Then why did you do it? Quit being melodramatic. You're making the kid nervous. Besides... "'The stealing of drugs was your idea, genius. "'I could swear that you're the one who's nervous. "'Just avoid any conversation about the habit. "'The last thing we want to do is set off any alarms "'or remind these assholes about that. "'You think I don't remember? "'Are you nuts?' "'I grabbed Ez by the hair and knocked on the door three times with his head. "'Thank you,' I added.' nice rj des said rubbing his forehead Bate tugged on my shirt sleeve what's the habit oh you haven't told her des fluffed Bates' hair around like she was an infant don't worry you'll find out soon enough you little fucking whore Bate scrunched her face and walloped des in the nuts with her knee He buckled over slightly and grabbed a wrench from the front pocket of his girly jeans. "'What the fuck?' Des whispered. "'You are so dead, little whore.' I grabbed the wrench from his hand and snapped his wrist backwards. I whispered, "'Why the hell did you bring a weapon, dude? Do you know how stupid that is? There are three of us here. Two junkies and one bait.' There are over 30 of these guys. I threw the wrench across the open lot so that it was out of the line of floodlights that surrounded the compound. Bate chimed in, wanting to be a part of the conversation. All this talk about the habit, whatever that is, is making me hungry. I want a hamburger from the habit. What is wrong with both of you? Jesus Christ, stop! This isn't a joke. What are you looking at, you? Faggot. Bate got up toward Dez's chest. He looked down at her and stared, licking his lips. Bate, take this and stop. I handed her the iPod she gave me. She held the iPod back toward me and pinched her nose. I don't like your music. I'm serious now. These guys aren't like the Knucklers and they aren't like Eldritch. Reluctantly, she did what she was told. The door to the compound flew open. All carrying Tech Nines, Copperhead and two other snakes came out and began patting us down. Sorry about these days. You know the deal, he said. Copperhead was tall and gangly, with his short, awful, orange colored dreads sticking up everywhere. He looked like a palm tree. You could barely see his eyes because they were always beet red and filled with pot and blood. Dez had gone through a big stoner period. That's when they started hanging out. Is this the way, Des? He put his hand at her Bates' chin and directed it towards his eyes. It don't look like much. KC is not gonna be happy. I stood there nervous, hoping Bait didn't think it was a good time to make one of her stupid faces. Luckily, she seemed too frightened. Des tried to smooth things out before they got miserable right out of the gate. That's her, cop. What kind of mood is KC in? The two guards finished patting me down. Copperhead shot me a wink. Ah, Jay. What's up, cop? Seemed like we already been through this, eh, ah, Come on. The stink weed permanently on his breath swirled around. It made me want to vomit. Took off dim shoes, knuckles. I tapped bait on the shoulder and signaled for her to ditch her boots. She mouthed, "'Why?' I made a fist, insisted with my eyes, and snarled. Reluctant, she took them off. Her socks had skulls on them. "'Jesus.' We followed Copperhead through the sparkling gold of the main foyer. Paintings of King Cobra covered the walls, and throne-type chairs shaped like snakes materialized every few steps." Peter Tosh's music quietly filled the foyer halls like waiting room muzak. Battlesnakes, who seemed to get bigger and blacker the further we made it through, whispered to each other and laughed. I made out knucklers, the habit, crackers, and punk asses. Yeah, I wasn't loved inside the Battlesnakes compound. We reached the center of two marble staircases that were woven like snakes into the main chamber. Copperhead led us to the very back of the room that looked too big to be inside the compound at all. Only one of the snake henchmen was present. Sit down, King Cobra commanded. We obliged. A massive being, he stood close to seven feet. He never wore a shirt when I saw him, so he could show off how shredded his body was. If his mind was as big as his body, I'd be much more uncomfortable around him. It seemed obvious to me that anyone that would name a gang Battlesnakes was not the brightest businessman in the world. Then again, I was told he started the gang from scratch in the late 70s. I wouldn't call the guy a visionary, but the Battlesnakes, without a doubt, were the first of their kind. In front of King Cobra was a girl strapped down securely in a steel chair. Her mouth was gagged, and although she tried to flinch loose, it was pretty obvious they had already beaten the resistance out of her. I grabbed Bait and whispered, Don't watch this. Copperhead moved behind Bait, ripped out the earbuds, and held her head straight forward toward King Cobra's throne. Bait watched. She had no choice. From a golden bowl next to his throne, King Cobra plucked out an enormous bud. He picked the leaves off the stem with his manicured fingers, creating two perfectly even balls. His voice knocked off the walls of the throne room, deep and loud enough to suspect that he was wearing a microphone. This is good bud, huh, cop? It's sticky, cop answered. Some of them vinks got a nice grow house. The victim shook as King Cobra packed the bud into both of her bottom eyelids. The song Mystic Man by Tosh intensified as Copperhead used a remote control to increase the volume. Cobra sang along. He thought he was a mystic man. He bobbed his head back and forth, his dreads catching the light of the red, yellow, and green track lighting above him don't know if the modern vampire's propensity to stage a show was in the lack of blood, or if it was tribal. I thought it was dumb. Loudly, he sang, I don't take no heroin, no, no, no. It was a direct dig at the knucklers. Sure, he claimed he didn't do anything besides smoking Bud, but he sure wasn't afraid to sell those other drugs. Like most criminals who try to justify their actions, Cobra was a hypocrite. The girl in the chair blinked to get the bun out of her eyes that was packed in there so tightly that they looked like the cheeks of a chipmunk filled with nuts. She tried to cry, but the herb blocked her tear ducts. Cobra continued to bob his head, extending the performance, making it more effective than his typical daily bun ritual. From behind his kingly throne, he grabbed a two-foot glass cylinder. One end of it was comfortably shaped and cushioned to fit flawlessly around his mouth. The other circular end of the pipe was tipped with a sharp steel blade. Without losing the rhythm of Tosh, he brought the modified bong up behind his head and unceremoniously buried it directly into the top of the girl's skull. Bate flinched as blood shot out of the victim's head. "'covering Cobra's face. "'Copperhead held her steady as he snickered "'and blew smoke from his nostrils into her eyes. "'King Cobra, still dancing with himself, "'placed his lips inside the mouthpiece "'and grabbed the girl's neck. "'Then, from his lap, he produced a blowtorch, "'fired it up, and sent the flame right into the eyes.' charred blood streamed from the eye but stopped short of dropping on her shoulder because it congealed from the heat and built up like dry cement on her cheeks the girl's body went into a seizure smoke puffed from her sightless sockets as Cobra sucked on the bong the girl's cornea melted followed by her iris and then her pupil the bubbling of the blood in her brain spun out of control in cadence with Tosh after a giant bong load Cobra extracted the glass apparatus from his victim's head, creating a slurp and crackle as the suction was released from the skull. Pointing the pipe upward like a bugle, he sucked down all the smoke. The girl's head fell forward, revealing an atrocious gash in her skull. A smoggy twirl of marijuana smoke floated from the noodle hole all the way to the ceiling. Copperhead was using his fingers to try to pry Bates' eyes open as if she were being brainwashed. She was crying, her tears spilling over his fingers. Cobra stood up from his throne, put his arms over his head and kicked the victim's chair over in front of him. Reynolds, as I live and breathe, you got big-ass balls. After peacefully shaking hands with Dez, Cobra told him and Copperhead to leave the room. Cobra handed Copperhead the remote control after he turned the music down. I am sure Dez and Copper had business transactions to talk about anyway. The business was how to scare the shit out of me on Halloween, and the price was my life. Bates stared at Cobra. She was about a third his size. Cobra ran his many-ringed fingers through Bate's hair. "'This is the one,' he grabbed Bate by the back of the neck. The only noise she made was the nervous tapping of her shoes on the floor. "Mm, "'She's no good to me. "'Her head is too small,' (laughs) he added. "'Hear me out,' I started.' Unlike Copperhead, Cobra elected against the fake Jamaican accent. Nonetheless, every word that came out of his mouth was painfully direct. Before you say something you're going to regret, answer me this question. Why in the fucking world would you think I'd let this happen? Do you know what I lost last time you wanted to bring a little white bitch around? He kicked over my chair and planted his bare foot into my neck. He grappled Bates' head and lifted her up like a moppet. She dangled in the air. Casey, she's just a dumb hooker who's already seen the operation. Look how small she is, she can't do anything to any of us. Really, RJ. Just like the habit. Sir, not the time, Bait! The words barely escaped my lips. My trachea nearly crushed under King Cobra's foot. Cobra pulled her towards him and coughed in her face. RJ, <coughs> oh. oh, tell her to shut the fuck up if she doesn't want to die right now. He lifted his foot from my throat. hey <sighs> shut up. <clears throat> Sir, she continued. "'What's the habit?' Her stomach growled. "'I'm kinda hungry. Can you get habit burgers delivered here?' Meanwhile, I was on the floor, approaching a pant leg full of shit. Cobra returned his foot and almost smashed my throat. Then, he chuckled and released his foot again. He lowered bank to the floor. "'What the shit is this, Reynolds? Is this some kind of joke?' "'Get up!' Doing what I was told, I stood up and cracked my neck. I heard Des and Copperhead laughing in the shadows of the musty room. "'Get out of here, motherfuckers!' Copperhead bellowed. He plucked the chair up off the ground and shoved me into the seat. He picked up the other chair next to it and swept bait into it. "'Let me tell you a story, little white whore. "'The habit almost destroyed everything that I built.' she was another white bitch who my butler friend Reynolds here brought to me just like this I need help getting my fix he said we need a human on our team he cried I'm a lazy junkie motherfucking idiot he pleaded you know what happened when I allowed this bitch in she fucking torched my home and killed a bunch of my brothers What did Reynolds get out of it? A new house. He smacked me in the face. Isn't that what happened, Reynolds? Because you wanted to get your dick inside of a human and a roof over your head. You cost me a lot of money. And a lot of friends. In my defense, Cobra raised his finger to my face don't he knelt down to bait not taking his finger out of my face your friend Reynolds here didn't understand that there are people who want to destroy this operation and my way of life you see this pussy ass would rather see himself in charge of LA than me you're a big man aren't you Reynolds don't be mistaken little girl Reynolds will never be in charge of anything more than a small bunch of disgusting junkies because he makes fucked up mistakes. He also fails to recognize that changes are happening all around us. He doesn't listen to anyone but the junkie voices in his head. So, she hesitated. Can I have something to eat? Defeated, Cobra stretched his frame upright. I'll let you do this, Reynolds. If anything goes wrong, anything at all, you are one dead motherfucking knuckler. We're watching you. Time stood still for a second, and I wish that being a vampire endowed me with the gift of time travel. That duffel bag full of heroin never would have seen the inside of my house. Fuck. Des said to Copperhead from the shadows. Bitch, get the fuck in here and bring that queer ass with you. Des and Copperhead shuffled into the room. You motherfuckers want to get us something to eat? Get some macaroni and cheese, bitch. Cobra shouted as he kicked at the leg of another snake. He pointed to Bait. That little bitch can't eat this shit. He opened his arms to display his feast. Up and down the table were gold serving dishes piled high with prime cuts of fresh humans. Some of the food was cooked to his liking, but most of it was raw and drenched in blood. One thing I never said about Cobra was that he wasn't a gracious host. That was, at least if you weren't the one on the menu... Bate held up a fried human finger and dipped it in some barbecue sauce. Can I try this? It looks like a chicken nugget. I seized the appetizer from her and crunched into it. Mmm, I said, praising the light batter. No nails. What are you talking about, nails? I make sure the nails are taken out. He gaped at Copperhead, who was next to Daz at the opposite end of the large black lacquer reception table. Unsuspecting, they laughed it up as bait gnawed on small portions of drenched liver. Cobra sang out. Isn't that right, Copper? Copperhead didn't ignore the question, but he didn't acknowledge it either. It seemed there was just as much dissension within the Battlesnake's compound as there was within the Knuckler Garage. King Cobra continued... That son of a bitch used to run my kitchen, talking about reading cookbooks and watching the Food Network and shit. About two months ago, I'm eating this piece of meat that is stuffed with these round things that bulge out of the top. What's in there? I asked him. Try it out to like it, he says. So, not thinking, I bit into it. Copperhead hid his face behind the large candelabra that separated the authority from the peons. Dez's nudging and chuckling ended. He knew better than to coax the volleying between the two. Frankly, Des was probably just as surprised as I was that things were going so well between Cobra and I that he didn't want to unintentionally mess up our peace mission. He was probably just as surprised that Bate was still among us. Not knowing the outcome of the story, but not necessarily wanting to further Copperhead's unease. Even though he sent out his boys to pick me up at Club Thirst, I tried to put a freeze on the conversation. Well, I'm a pretty bad cook, too. Rejecting my attempt to change topics, Cobra pointed his carving knife directly at Copperhead's cock. After I take a bite, this motherfucker says. It's testicles and ovaries... With the memory of his humiliation still fresh, Cobra flipped the knife up and caught it bladeside. Without missing a beat, he slung the blade at Copperhead. Unfortunately, he missed. Not so unfortunately, he caused Copper to clumsily dump his plate all over his lap and splash it on Dez. The big man sneered. That's the problem with these young ones, Reynolds. They have no respect and they're into all sorts of wild-ass, silly shit. I know what you mean, I said. He gripped my shoulder. Oh, I bet your boy hands are full with those little shits, and now with this little whore. You practically got a goddamn orphanage over there. Confessing without thinking, I blurted out, Oh, I know. A few months ago, Des mauled these two cops and then left them in an alley. He left them to be found like they were butt-fucking. Across the table, Dez's face tensed up. His white face became whiter, and he looked to be having difficulty swallowing his food. I realized the grave mistake my mouth had made as I saw the horror in Dez's eyes. I tried to suck it into my body to drop it through my sphincter, where the rest of my insides were currently in a holding pattern to be delivered out of my body. It was as if I was a ventriloquist dummy being controlled by a blabbermouth. In my attempt to gain acceptance, I let us all into a conversation that I specifically told Dez not to bring up. Cobra leaned on the table, using both his forearms as support. He grabbed the stem of his chalice full of blood between his pinky and his second-to-last finger. Oh, really? He twirled the cup. And these were the cops that the BBP was snitching to. Correct... He seemed exceedingly relaxed. "'The reason I know about this is because I read it on the front page of the goddamn L.A. Times.' "'I read it, too,' Dez checked in to defend his actions. "'The cops thought it was a gang-slaying.' Cobra hurled his chalice at Dez, accidentally pegging Copperhead in the face. "'Do you know how stupid you sound?' "'What are the battle snakes? What are the knuckleheads? Gangs? Bate answered. Shop whore! Des hissed. The cops thought it was a real gang. Cobra shot to his feet. Are you saying that we're... He spun his finger around the room. Not real gangs? Motherfucker? Um... Uh... No... Des stammered. It's, uh, just that they figured it's like the, the Crips and the Bloods. The gargantuan snake leader started pacing back and forth, waiting for Des to continue his shoveling. As far as I could tell, we had both made it about five feet and eleven inches towards six feet under. The visibility out of our graves was becoming more and more blurry as they filled with dirt. In a last-ditch attempt to diffuse the situation, I said... KC, seriously, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Stupid kid, right? He stopped marching and closed his eyes. You brought it up, Reynolds. You all wonder why you fucking work for me. But none of you listen to me. Bait tugged on my sleeve. Elders? She whispered. Shut her up, Reynolds. Taking the advice of the butcher who was about to kill me, I shoved a human finger in Bates' mouth. Be quiet. Cobra, I'm sorry. I got carried away. Des apologized. You know how ashamed parents feel when their kids are running around and screaming in an expensive restaurant? That's how I felt. Like the a-hole dad who wished he had worn a rubber. Cobra soared across the room touching down on Dez and burying him backward on his seat, which broke into kindle on his back and ass. Carried away, little boy. Carried away. Motherfucker, just like all of you, you Tahoe, Pico, and that fucking habit, bitch. I wait for you all to fuck up and let your guard down. You're not doing the Battlesnakes of me any favors. "'All you do is your lowly job. Being my bitches. You are especially a nobody.' Feeling Cobra's impending wrath, Copperhead began inching away from the table. "'Where the fuck do you think you're going?' Cobra panned over to him and coaxed him back to the table with his all-authoritative finger. "'We're going to play a little game here, boys.' Cobra flipped Dez over, grabbing him as if he was preparing for a high school wrestling match. He steadied Dez in a doggy-style position. As Copperhead moved like a slug toward the scene, Cobra reached up, threw him on Dez's back, taking his position. Hold him tightly. Dez, pull your pants down. Twitching from fright, Dez did as he was told. Good. See, boy, you can do as you're told. Copper. Rub his body and kiss his neck. Scared and twitchy, Copper had submitted. I wanted to get up and stop the demonstration, but my hands were pretty much tied down by my pussy when it came to Cobra. Hey, Egon! Cobra sent to the battlesnake who came in undetected to deliver Bait a bowl of mac and cheese. Go get my new camera. Cobra then wedged his size 22 foot between Copperhead's shoulder blades and dragged it down to his tailbone. Move, motherfucker, he barked. Copperhead complied like this was a reoccurring role for him. He started dry-humping Dez. I couldn't see Dez's face but I could hear his disgusted snorts and whimpers. Bates started chowing down. Uninterested in anything besides her mac and cheese. Thankfully, she was at a loss for words. Egon rushed back into the dining hall with a camera. Cobra took his foot off Copperhead, grabbed the camera, and began shouting directions. Come on, motherfuckers, you show me how much you love each other. I got up and mouthed. Stay to bait. Sit down, Reynolds. Enjoy the show his amusement was extenuated by teehees and hiss-like cackles
1: <laughs>
2: have you ever seen them shoot a porno out in Shatsworth? um no I mumbled as I backstepped to my chair Cobra started snapping pictures he even went as far as to alter his voice to that of a cliched flamboyant fashion photographer. More action, more love. Be sexy for the camera. Be sexy for me. He kicked Des in the ribs. Where's your passion, motherfucker? Des kept quiet. Make some noise. Cobra continued, transposing his voice back to its original blood-curdling strength. Almost as if that one sentence triggered a bad memory with her, Bate put down her fork, pushed out her chair and stared silently at the ground between her legs. Come on, bitches, make some noise. With no other option, Dez and Copperhead moaned and groaned, caressed and made sexy eyes at each other. Louder! They complied again. No one in the room was laughing or having a good time other than Cobra. As a matter of fact... It was almost as painfully uncomfortable for the spectators as it was for Dez and Copperhead. With a thunderous boom from his bare feet, Cobra grabbed Copperhead and launched him off of Dez's back and then hopped into a huddle stance over Dez. Now, what were you saying about real gangs? Motherfucker. Shame clogged Dez's throat. I... I... I'm sorry... I never know what I'm saying or doing. I'm too fucked up on drugs all the time. You're damn right, Knuckler. You don't know Jack or shit. Cobra pressed the camera against his cheek and snapped one last picture. The light agitated him. Bloody tears ran down his face. In large doses and close to the skin... Artificial light can still be hurtful to people with photophobia. Cobra offered his hand to help him. Get up. Des accepted the help and got up from the banquet room floor. He looked around as he pulled up his pants. Cobra helped him and then rubbed salt in his wounds by pulling the pants so far up that it gave Des a wedgie. Then, being the host of the night, he swung a new chair under Des's ass and sat him down. Copperhead walked back to his seat and sat down, quiet as a mouse. Bait, on the other hand, continued looking at the floor. I snapped my fingers at her, announcing the end and hopefully not the intermission to Cobra's twisted program. She returned to her mac and cheese. On the way back to his roost at the head of the table next to me, Cobra handed Egon the camera. "'Go put these on my computer.' He looked over to me. And email them to my good friend Reynolds. What's his email? Egon asked. Does it really fucking matter? Cobra fumed, causing poor Egon to lose his balance and almost drop the camera. Then, as if his show had given him the endorphins of running ten miles, Cobra sat back down and sucked the meat off a human finger. No, Reynolds. Where were we? I said nothing. Oh, yeah. So, this motherfucker. Cobra pointed to a distressed copperhead who was as still as an ice sculpture, erased faced behind the table centerpiece. Since he served me some motherfucker's balls... Wait, let him tell you. Hey, copper. What do you do in the kitchen now? copperhead slit stoned eyes snuck around the candles I washed the dishes that's right bitch you see Reynolds it doesn't take much to get demoted around here he slapped me on the shoulder again so take away whatever you want from tonight it's not going to take you much more of these mistakes to get deaded out there Trying to act focused on the meal, yet clearly understanding the conditions of our new agreement, I said, I hear you. You know what's so a little funny and confusing to me about that night you and that jackass was sent to kill that snitch? Before you made front page headlines for icing two decorated cops? Shit, I thought. He knew. He cleared his throat. Where in the fuck is my cocaine? Trying not to reveal my tell and be an unconvincing liar, I simply said, Um, wasn't any coke there, dude. Like we were playing poker, Cobra read my face for any abnormalities. Luckily for me, I was telling the truth. There wasn't any coke there that night. I wish my brain had told my heart that, though, because it was thumping so hard I could feel it inside my earlobes. ''Yeah, that's what I figured. Because that pussy,'' he pointed at Des, ''told that pussy,'' he panned over to Copperhead, ''that there wasn't any coke. The thing is, Reynolds.'' The BBPs were expecting 50 pounds or so of yayo. So... Not only did your fucking dumb knuckler show raise some eyebrows to my business... I'm also out a bunch of money. Rather than state what everyone else in the room was thinking about the fantasy cocaine... I elected to simply state... We were sent there by Linwood Perry to kill a snitch and some cops... There was never any talk about recovering and bringing back any coke at all. I got a little bold. We did everyone a favor, and even though Dez was stupid, we got it done. No coke anywhere. As much as I disliked intentionally throwing Dez under the bus, I was readily reminded that it was his idea to steal the drugs. I knew it was stupid, and if we walked away alive from that Halloween feast, I was going to make sure Dez realized that. In all honesty, though, it didn't seem like Cobra or Copperhead had any idea that we fell into a huge duffel bag of heroin. Whether or not we were dealing it outside of our designated area didn't seem to matter. Cobra gripped my shoulder with his giant hand and dug his nails into me. Besides, Reynolds, you would never betray or steal from me. There is no way you could possibly be that fucking stupid. Especially after burning down my home and killing a bunch of my brothers. He scanned me one last time, making sure I was telling the truth. There was no coke, Cobra. I promise. His hand regressed to its less intimidating pat. That's what I figured, he said. No one is that dumb. With a mouth full of runny instant pasta, Bate finally spoke up. He's pretty fucking stupid. He has a Batman tattoo. Cobra pounded his fist on the table as he erupted in laughter. (laughs) I do like the whore, Reynolds. Don't make me kill her. After we finished dinner and said our goodbyes, Egon escorted us home. Not one word was said and the radio was off. Halfway home, the silence was lifted by the buzzing of my cell phone. Cobra had sent me the pictures of Dez and Copperhead. Chapter 9. Sacrifices. My anxiety was an all-time high after Cobra's threats toward the Knucklers. Even though he said that he believed me, I kind of had a bad feeling that he knew about the drugs we stole from the cops. However, we were moving the drugs undetected, and after one near confrontation with El Riando de Sangre, Des got his followers to start wearing red bandanas like the Culver City Boys 13, In an attempt to throw them off the trail of us infringing on their territory, the Desians also started carrying spray cans and dropping the CXC-13 tag everywhere. They all figured it was smarter to start a neighborhood war rather than a vampire war. I tapped Bait on her bony shoulder. Before we start in with you bringing Johns back to us, you need to know how this works. I need to show you what we do. I also have to make sure you have the stomach for killing I don't think my stomach can get more grossed out than it was when we went to the snake pit Or whatever it was called Reynolds Why does he call you that? We aren't born with any names, so we create our own names based on products Things we see, stuff like that It was farther than that, though Cobra called me Reynolds because it was a constant reminder to me that I opened up the Battlesnakes to the habit. Although Cobra didn't put two and two together at the time when I introduced the habit to him, her burning down his compound was about more than killing vampires. Her kiddie TV show, Dag Nabbit, had a stereotypical butler character on it named Reynolds... Essentially, when the studio ignored the outrage from the black community over the modern-day equivalent of step-and-fetch-it, someone burned down the soundstage where they filmed the show. Those someones also left snake symbols sprayed all over the studio lot. Well, since the show had reached its peak long before the arson and little Dag Nabbit had grown up, the studio canceled the show. Typecast as this cutesy little girl, the habit stopped getting jobs immediately... Two years later, she was a full-blown junkie whose camera time was limited to inflammatory muff shots for falling down on Sunset Boulevard. The tabloid served up the pics ad nauseum with a yuck-yuck and a nudge-nudge to give working saps in America a good laugh. The show had a resurgence a few years later, but it became the children's show equivalent of watching a naked gun movie only to remind your friends that Nordberg is a murderer. Of course... I knew none of this when I brought her to the original Battlesnake's compound. King Cobra simply didn't recognize her because she had fallen so far from her star. I shuddered, thinking about how Los Angeles tore her up. So I switched topics away from the habit. Des has changed his name a lot. A few years ago, he named himself after this local artist, Des Einswell. He thinks he's pretty cool. Okay, Whatever not whatever you have to be serious if you want to be involved in this trust me i told you before and i'll tell you again bait i can't turn you into a vampire so the reason you're doing this is to kill and hunt people and do drugs i'll protect you but that's about all i can offer what if i'm faded and i let things get out of control she sipped a iced coffee Like, I care what the hell happens. It's free drugs. She started listing the positives on her fingers. It's a free place to live, and I'm not getting beaten up, and I'm not fucking to make money for someone else. When she reached her fourth finger, she made a fist and grunted. It was pathetic. And you don't think our pimp is the Battlesnakes? They giggled. That name still cracks me up. It's so retarded. I chuckled as well. I know. It's like Ninja Turtles or some shit. I know, right? She paused for a second. Ninja Turtles. Is that another gang? Um no. Bate put up her left hand for a high five and put her right thumb down. Battlesnakes. Lame. I didn't have the heart to tell her that I didn't engage in the high five, the fist bump, or the shaka. She was a kid. I had to remember that. So I high-fived her. Anyway, if you think someone as stupid as me has some sneaky plan to burn down your house or burn down the sneaky guy's house, I don't. Well, good, because they will literally eat you alive. Don't forget what you saw in there. That was tame by their standards what was the deal with this chick the habit anyway did you love her or something I mean can you even feel
1: things like that
2: do you have any feelings or anything I have something because I let you live didn't I I slugged back some of Pico's beer and blood dipped a new cigarette and lit it I I guess I have feelings well were you in love with her or something I don't know. I know I wanted to love her. I love her house. It's pretty much my house now. No one knows about it, and she's probably dead. A jealous flush came across Bates' face. So, how do you fuck anyway? Do I have to answer that question? I mean, isn't like your insides all filled with dust and dead shit? No. There is blood in there, and my heart circulates it around. But there's not much, and we need a constant source of it. That's why the bottom feeders always keep some on hand for us. As far as sex, that's a little more difficult to explain, and I'd rather not have this conversation with a 12-year-old. 13. Whatever, I'm a whore. She rubbed up against me. Dude, don't touch me. Don't do that. Don't. Ever do that. Are you, like, gay or something? Why not? I'm a hooker. I ashed my cigarette on the coffee table. You're a child. I'm a child that you're willing to put at risk for you to get high, you selfish cock. I bet your wiener doesn't even work. Enough. Get ready. Besides, what would be the point of having sex knowing you can't reproduce? Well... What about Des? He's always talking about raping chicks and stuff. I lashed onto the back of her neck. Stay the fuck away from Des. I shoved her toward my room. And get ready. Wear something stealth, please. I don't want to see a scarf with skulls on it unless you're hanging from it. Bait dragged on a dipped cigarette. <laughs> Gross. She flicked the butt at my leg. Why do you smoke like this? You should smoke cloves. You asked to try it, I said. Shh. She stood behind me.
1: Why are we here?
2: There aren't any Johns at the gym at midnight. We stood in the shadows, peering through the windows that allowed everyone on Highland to see California's finest hard bodies show off their vanity. That's the fun of this. We aren't out to get Johns tonight. Watch and learn, little girl. A stout jack-off walked by the display case with his shirt off. As he curled with both arms, he crossed right by us, put the weights down and said something to a very sweaty girl on a stationary bicycle. Hi again, Mizuko. I whispered, remembering the bouncer from Halloween night. Who are these losers? They would be prey. She works here, closes up, and lets him exercise after hours. He is just some douchebag who was working the door when I took you out for your birthday. He tried to start shit, and I'm going to repay him for it. I could have torn the guy to shreds there, but there are some ethical codes involved about revealing ourselves in public places. So, I started following him around, figured out his whole routine when he gets done with work where does he work i shot her a look do you listen at all he's the doorman at club thirst she looked perplexed you mean that lame place we went for halloween yes for god's sake focus when he gets done with work he comes here and works out with his girlfriend anyway Since she has keys and is a personal trainer, she lets him work out and shower and shit for free. The douche began egging his girlfriend on to do more reps. She was struggling. This guy's an asshole, huh? So we're going to jump in there and just get high on this guy and share some with her? Bate nodded her head up and down repeatedly and rounded her eyes. Her bucked teeth flickered yellow in the streetlight. No, we're not here to get high tonight. You'll never get high with me. I'm teaching you how this is done. But we're gonna sweep in from the ceiling and save her, right? Fuck no, Bait. We're not a halfway house. We're going to kill both of them. What did I say to you before we left? I'm a killer, not a swashbuckler. This is to make sure you can deal with this. Whether innocent or guilty of being a fucktard means nothing to me. It shouldn't to you either. Focus. Her nostrils flared out. She hid behind her skunked hair and started trembling. I put my hand on her shoulder. Hey, I knew that once you realize that this isn't about romance and writing poems that you wouldn't want to be involved. Come on. Let's go back shaking intensified she shook the hair out of her face revealing that she was beaming she began hopping up and down are you kidding me i want to kill that gun so badly i hate her and everyone who looks like her can i stab her in the face or play kickball with her head after you rip it off
1: can i please
2: she swatted me with the back of her hand on the chest oh look they're heading back to the showers How do we get in? I hadn't noticed until now that she pieced together a makeshift outfit with a pair of Dez's black girly jeans and an old Youth Brigade sweatshirt. She grinned and I tied her hair back in a ponytail with a garbage bag twisty and tightened the strap on her backpack. I licked a little bit of leftover flesh out of my back teeth that had been in there for a few days. I looked south toward my house down by Melrose. I looked back at Bate still beaming then confused I pushed the door open it's not locked awesome no need to crawl through the ceiling or anything right I continued to look at her with concern and confusion come on she walked in front of me sliding across the floor sideways I reached into my pocket and grabbed a handful of change Okay, bait. We rarely just hunt people for the hunts, but if we're going to, why not make it fun? Now watch. You'll get the same reaction every time. I lifted a couple of pennies and threw them over the stalls. They landed one shower before her and spun into the drain. Clean. Clean. Nothing. I held back back with my forearm. Wait for it. Still Nothing. Bate reached into her bag of tricks, and before I could stop her, she winged a handful of rocks into the shower with the girl. Ow! The girl screamed. I looked at Bate and shook my head, mouthing. Why? She devilishly bit into her palm and snickered. We heard the echoing voice of the personal trainer. What the fuck, Mizuko? I've got fucking shampoo in my eyes. What, you haven't gotten enough of coaching my fat ass? Bate couldn't contain herself. She pulled my ear down to her mouth. He called her a fat ass, Bates snorted. My cheeks filled with laughter and I closed my eyes. I waved my hand at her to stop and pushed myself back up on her head. She attempted to lower her voice and shouted, ''Clean your pussy, fatso!'' I smacked her on the back of the head. ''Shut up!'' ''What's so funny, you asshole?'' The girl yelled. ''That hurt!'' What are these, rocks? Nice. Much better than your dick, you limp shit. bait and I looked at each other in surprise. Playing along at this point, I whispered to Bait, Listen to this. I cupped my hand over my mouth and tried to make an Italian, Mizuko sounding voice. Get back to the weights, tubby. Probably sounded more like someone from Transylvania than New Jersey. bait fell over in the shower next to us, hysterical. I grabbed the iPod she gave me out of my pocket and threw the earbuds into my ears. I loved having aggressive music playing when I pounced on a human. Cobra liked Tosh. I liked seven seconds. I flicked the touchscreen. What the fuck, Bazooka? The personal trainer turned off the shower and stepped out of the shower, rubbing the water out of her eyes with a towel and scratching her ass. I sped toward her like a greyhound bus, passing five showers on both of my sides. I jumped. As soon as the towel was off her face, I was on her like a beast. I didn't have time to turn around to see if Bate had gotten up to witness what I was about to do. The bitch had to be taken care of immediately as not to alarm the Zuko. Not yet. I pried her mouth open with my right hand and quickly ripped off her bottom jaw, tongue intact, so she couldn't scream very easily. I immediately put my left foot into the portion of her face where the mouth used to be and pressed my foot down hard. She squirmed around. Her defined arms reached towards my face. She tried to lash around with her ultra-cheesy jewel-encrusted French manicure. I kicked my boot up into her skull, busting through her nose and blowing out her eyes. Her arms dropped, and as I held her head down, I grabbed both arms and twisted them outward breaking them off entirely I chucked both arms into the showers at my sides to end the job I stood up in the boot I had in her mouth lifted my other leg and just crushed right through her sternum but there was even a second of life left in her it was done after that a successful workout she lost some of that extra weight Mizuko obsessed about I dug my face into her chest, and while picking the bone slivers left from her ribcage out of the way, I tugged out her pulmonary vein and sucked the life directly out of her heart. In the middle of the carnage, I spun my head around. I made sure that my face was drenched in blood and that heart parts were hanging out of my mouth. I even growled like a monster. I saw bait. Standing underneath the low lights of the gym shower back at the end of the hall where we began. Her face wasn't beaming anymore, and her backpack spilled from her shoulders to the middle of her back. I shook the veins and grabbed the personal trainer by her hair, ripping off what was left of her crown. Bate looked at me in shock, tears rolled down her eyes. Another handful of rocks that she had prepared fell from her hand. RJ? she whimpered I howled again if she didn't know yet now it was clear that I was a monster that was totally fucking awesome she reached toward a rack next to her do you need a towel dude pieces of heart fell out of my mouth as I slammed, dunked the head to the tiles splashing it everywhere I secretly wished the more noble eldritch were there to perform my public service announcement about the inherent dangers of vampirism. I knew that if I saw myself in the mirror, that it would have been laughable. Bate, you can't look like you're afraid of blood, I insisted. You need to look sweet. I ripped the twisty out of her hair and broke it into two pieces with my teeth i grabbed her greasy skunk hair on both sides and tied them off into pigtails Mizuko's bro jams of corn and drowning pool filled the men's shower i looked at the youth brigade sweatshirt the bait was wearing for a second then i spun her around i figured it would work but if he comes after me he's a big guy i've got your back don't worry i promise The corners of Bates' face curled upward around her buck teeth. Really? No, stupid. We're doing this so I can have some meathead named Mizuko attack and kill you. Get rid of that smile. It looks too forced. Try to look confused and alone or something. I handed her the iPod. She put the earbuds in her ears. What's this shit? Come on. Go with it. You need music to be a lunatic. I shoved her toward the shower. Besides... The music he's listening to is... uh, totally wrong. She walked two steps sideways with her arms extended like she was running a defensive basketball drill. Stop. Bate took an earbud out. What? Walk normal, I commanded with my finger pointing toward Mizuko's shower. Act terrified. Reluctantly, she continued her trek. When she had gotten right to Mizuko's stall, she turned back. I nodded my head, assuring her that everything was going to be cool. Then, I leapt to the top of the mold-lacquered, once-blue-tiled stalls and held my finger up to my mouth, letting out another subtle, shh. They curled her little piggy nose in excitement and shot me a thumbs up. Then, as if she were about to audition for a part in a B-movie, she put her flattened hand in front of her eyes, moved it down to her face and changed her expression from one of excitement to one of dread. I smoothly kept stride across the tops of the shower stalls. Bate kept her eyes on me. I stopped right above her. With my fingers, I signaled, One. Two. Three. Bate tore back the shower curtain, looked up at Mizuko, and sweetly said, Is this yours, mister? She lifted the personal trainer's annihilated skull up with her left hand. I gave the meathead a second to take it in. He shrieked like the bitch he was. The cry was my signal to plunge down from on top of the shower and grab him from behind. Without delay, I ripped off a hollow metal rack inside the shower that was bolted to the wall with my left arm and subdued the guido with my right. As quick as the rack came off the wall, I pierced it directly through the center of his chest and started fucking his sternum with it, trying to eat away at as much insides as I could. You could hear the chorus of innards squishing around and bursting, mixed with the rhythm of the shower dripping into the drain. You could hear bones cracking. Great sounds compared to his lame music. Holy shit, Bate yelled frantically. He was fucking jerking off. Mizuko's screams gargled with blood and throat lining. He tried to cough, but all the air in his chest was purging out through his gashed lungs. Bait bounced from side to side, seemingly skipping in place. RJ, he was jerking off! RJ, RJ, he was jerking off! The meathead began losing consciousness. I pulled the rack from his chest and lanced him directly through the heart using the rack like a crazy straw I put the opposite end of my mouth and sucked the life out of the guy with my left arm still restraining his chest I pumped it like I was giving him CPR out of life Mizuko slumped to the floor as he fell I saw Bate she stood with the personal trainer's head in her left hand and a shit-eating grimace on her face watch this she said She lifted back her boot and stomped on Mizuko's cock. I coughed some of his blood out of my mouth. Dude, bait, he's dead. No need to kick his dick. What's wrong with you? She pushed her head trophy toward my face. Pretty fucking sweet, right? I shuddered a little more and swatted it out of her hand. No. Hey, asshole, wake up. I felt the sunlight fry my skin. Ow! Des, close the curtains! What are you doing? I howled, pulling the comforter over my body. Where were you last night? Copperhead and I were up in Hollywood. I thought we were going to get high last night. Close the curtains, I said. It might hurt me like shit, but I can still jump out of this bed and kick your ass. Des had already moved on to where Bait lay, Oh, the tired bait grunted. Why are you kicking me? Oh, it's you. Get up off the floor, little whore. The men need to talk right now. Des, close the curtains. I insisted again. Ah, oh, dude, that hurt. Oh, you kicked me in the stomach. Bates squealed. I felt the warmth of the room return to dark, and I threw the comforter off. You better have a really good explanation for doing that, Dez. Bate left the room and headed into the bathroom. I think she was crying. Sorry. I just thought maybe you wanted to tell me what you were doing last night. Seriously, what is wrong with you? Why would I want to hang out with Copperhead? Why are you hanging out with Copperhead? He's my friend. He's a lot better of a friend to me than you have been lately. Okay, let me explain this in a way you can understand, because obviously you're way too dense to get it. I took bait out last night for a hunt. You know, we have this big plan to lure assholes back here so we can get high whenever we want. Remember? That was never the plan, RJ. What are you talking about? This is something that is going to benefit the Knucklers. This is less work. This is cleaner. This is a way for us not to have to deal with any police. Too bad everyone else just thinks you're soft. Soft how? When was the last time you went out and just hunted someone, Dez? I rubbed off the dry skin that had fried when Dez exposed me to the light. Did you happen to clean up the bodies? Dez threw me the LA Times. At a health club? RJ, what are you doing? It's all over the news and is the biggest story in the world right now. I read the headline out loud. A man and woman mutilated at local fitness club. Dez punched a hole through the wall. Do you think that Cobra is going to like that at all? He's going to kill us. I jumped to my feet, snatched Dez's head with my hands. Please tell me. Please tell me that you didn't tell Copperhead about this. Des tried to shake his head loose from my grip. Des, please don't tell me that you told Copperhead about this. He shoved me away. No, dude, I haven't said shit. I wasn't even sure it was you. I actually figured that it was some invalid in Hollywood, since that far up Highland isn't where we are allowed to hunt anyway. I pointed to the chair in the corner of the room. Sit down. Dez did as he was told. And wipe that look off your face, you smug little bastard. What right do you have to tell me how to handle my business? We're going to get in a lot of trouble. Everyone thinks this whole thing with the whore is a huge mistake. They think you care more about her than you do about us. You're the leader of the Knucklers. You aren't acting like a leader at all. It's a complete repeat of what happened with the habit. This time, it's worse. Don't you think that this sends out a huge red alert to the cloth? Humans don't kill other people like that. It's being called the most despicable murder since Richard Ramirez. This isn't gang violence or killing some pimp or drug dealer and then getting the halfwits to clean up our mess in our house or on our territory you specifically went against every single law that we have lived by since i can remember i sighed (sighs) call everyone we need to have an emergency meeting tonight dez stayed in the chair and looked at me with his mouth open well what are you waiting for go he got up and shoved the chair across the room Bate appeared from the bathroom and Des strutted by her, shoving her into the bathroom door. I wish you would have stayed in there, he yelled. Shuffling her feet, Bate walked into my doorway. I'm sorry, she moaned as her face collapsed into her hands. Chapter 10 Violators Christmas rolled around, which was a good thing for all of us. Dumb people carry more cash around during the happiest time of the year, so it was really easy to make money being a stick-up kid. It was also a cleaner way to stay alive, and not so many people had to die. The heroin operation was running smoothly, too. They took the money the Desians made selling the heroin to a drop box we set up with Eldritch. He, in return, dropped a reasonable amount of uncut, stolen H for her to pick up and bring back to my house. Then, Dez and I weighed and cut the heroin with baby laxatives and ephedrine. Finally, Bate divided the stolen heroin out to the undercover Desians who dealt in Culver City. The process went full circle and the money came back to me. I counted it and bundled it, called Eldritch and the cycle continued. Sure, bait wasn't fulfilling her role of bringing me johns to kill and eat and get high on but i decided that this was a better way for her to earn her keep after her sadistic performance at the gym i rethought stealing her humanity as far as we knew the battle stakes had no idea about what we were doing under their noses and the only gang getting screwed was the mexicans because they weren't paying king cobra as much as they were supposed to Bate shook my shoulder as I sprawled out on the couch, half asleep, listening to some motivational music by Johnny Thunders. R.J., wake up. I snorted and rolled over. Can it wait until later? I didn't know why I was so tired. I hadn't been doing any real work for a long time other than counting bills. Put the money on the table, Bate. I'll... I'll deal with it Later. She bit down on her lip as her face slid behind her hair. That's the thing. I think some of Dez's friends are mad at us. Us? There is no us. I wiped my eyes with my palms and flossed some nap plaque out of my teeth with my fingernail. Shaky at first, I sat up, grabbed a silver spoon off the coffee table and fired up some leftover dust and blood using a pen and wrinkled tinfoil. Groggily... I wheezed. What are you talking about? Well... Her left eye parted out of the center of her hair fort and twitched erratically.
1: People aren't paying all the money they
2: owe this week. Why? Didn't they sell all the shit? I don't know, they just told me to bring more. So where's the money? Are those little shits using all the heroin... The bad idea of putting a little girl in charge of the day-to-day affairs of our covert operation suddenly made me feel claustrophobic in my own skin. Whether the Desians were pussy vampires or not, they were much stronger than bait would ever be. And with me not directly in the equation, they were starting to overstep their bounds. No, they're selling it. I lofted a huge cloud of bodily exhaust into her face, causing her to cough. This is real simple, Bate. It's a point A to point B process. I put the pen back in my mouth and returned to the foil. Out of the side of my mouth, I asked again, Where is the money? She looked upset. They said they want to get paid. I huffed in a huge mouthful of vapor. Realizing that I bit off more than I could chew, I coughed it back into Bate's face. Some goop torpedoed out and splashed her on the chin. She sneezed and wiped it off. Why are you spitting on me? She knocked the poor man's chalice out of my hand. Giggly and high, but still irritated, I jumped to react. I extended my arm, grabbed her by the straps of her overalls and threw her to the floor, holding her down. Clean it up, whore, I demanded, too dizzy to focus on what I was doing. Leroy and Skillet, who I thought were outside, shot up from behind the couch and growled... I grabbed a tabloid with my free hand and waved it at them. Piss off, both of you! They stood steadfast and put their front paws on the back pillows of the couch. They flip-flopped between growling and panting, like the spasmodic animals they were. Leroy let out a furious bark. Somehow, Bait managed to rotate her head and submerge her chiclet teeth into my wrist causing me to let go and lose my balance while I attempted to get to my feet to face off against the disobedient hounds. I fell back on the couch and she made a run for it. No longer simply being mischievous, Leroy and Skillet blitzed me and held me down. Skillet locked onto my wrist like a shark snapping a chum as Leroy pinned my shoulders down and bumped my forehead with his like a rhinoceros. As if I had just stubbed my toe or smacked my head on a cabinet, my knee-jerk reaction discharged my rage. I flipped Leroy over at his gut and volleyed him across the room. He slammed into the turntable. The needle dragged across the record for a split second and then ceased to emit any power whatsoever. The dog fluttered on his back a little like a turtle and then bounced himself back up to a full stance. He snarled at me with a droopy-eyed look of disgust and then pranced down the hall, following bait. I tore my arm away from Skillet's grip. He licked at the tearing arm hair and flesh out of the corner of his mouth as it stretched away from my body like a tug rope. He gnawed at it, then shook his head in disapproval. Before I got situated again on the couch, Skillet smacked me in the face with his tail as he followed his unruly canine co-conspirator. I sunk down into the couch cushion, grabbed a t-shirt and wrapped it around my arm.
1: "'Get back here!'
2: I bellowed at the three of them. Rather than locking herself into the bathroom with Leroy and Skillet as expected, Bate, followed by both dogs, returned. They barreled toward me like they were on the front lines at the beaches of Normandy. Bate emulated the dogs and began growling, twirling the shower radio over her head like she was wielding a mace." Then, standing over me, she pounded the radio against my sternum. As if it were a planned attack, Leroy and Skillet both jumped and scratched my chest with their robust paws. Stop! I begged. The power of all three soldiers caused a wet fart to seep out of my ass. I felt diarrhea slink down my thigh, onto my calf, and then onto the floor. Sidetracked, the dumb Great Dane started licking the shit up. It was no wonder his breath always smelled like long beach-contaminated shrimp that had been stewing in a pool of vomit inside a pig carcass in the sun for a week. The distraction gave me the opportunity to reverse and overtake the onslaught. I rotated my body off the couch and dropped onto the floor. I arched my back to try and stand as my right foot sloshed around and Rhea still inside my pant leg. Before I could tell the three musketeers to desist again, they all retreated. The bathroom door slammed closed. Not to be defeated by a little girl and the two dumbest, most uncoordinated dogs on the face of the earth, I stomped down the hall toward them, spattering my runny poop everywhere. Stopping at the door, I took a deep breath, placed my cold fingertips over my closed eyelids, and massaged my temples with my thumbs. Trying to release some of my anger, I bit as hard as I could into the t-shirt that was wrapped around my arm. Calmly, I asked, Bate, what's going on? She said nothing. The only sound coming from the other side of the door was her playing bumper boat in the tub with the hounds and then panting uncontrollably. Bate? No! No what? I returned as I continued to rub my face. It wasn't a question that required a yes or no response. I took my fingers off my eyes and gripped the door handle. She sucked some agitated snot back into her throat and swallowed it. ''No!'' she yelled again, this time with a little more punch. I turned the knob cautiously and I cracked the door open, only far enough to peek inside. A half-corroded battery, that I assumed fell out of my shattered shower radio, beamed me in the eyebrow. I counted backward in my head to remain cool. My anger, mixed with the dizzying effect of the drugs, whispered coaxing messages to my brain, reminding me that the sword of a little girl had just anally lanced me. I blinked the corrosive particles out of my eye. The three of them were packed into the tub like it was a miniature submarine. I dragged my poo foot into the door and slowly opened it with my left arm. I slid into the bathroom sideways and made my way to the throne. No projectiles were catapulted at me. Leroy and Skillet, bushed from all the exercise, shook off and let their guards down. I dunked my gross foot into the toilet and sloshed it around in a sad attempt to wash off my mess. Without looking at the lot of them, I reached over and put my hand on Bates' wet head. Spray-on black hair dye was smeared all over her face and shoulders. I wiped it off my hand onto my pant leg... Leroy extended a peace offering by licking my hand, signifying that the war was over. Tell me what's going on, Bait, and why you didn't come home with my money. You're just going to be mad at me. Continuing not to make eye contact with her, fearing I would rip her skull from her body, I said, So beating the hell out of me, getting my dogs all riled up and turned against me, this was Something you thought would make me happy? I spoke slowly, like a parent trying to further investigate unsatisfactory behavior. I placed my hand on her head. She shook me away. You were the one who was about to hit me. I wasn't going to hit you. You knocked the last little bit of drugs I had out of my hand. Oh, so your drugs are more important to you than I am? She pushed herself against the soap dish in the tub... I reached further toward her and placed my hand back on her head. For all intents and purposes, yes, the drugs were more important to me than she was. After all, they helped keep me alive, another question in itself. Rather than get into a circular argument about why I existed, I played to her neediness. No, Bate, you are more important than the drugs. I dipped a half-wit cigarette into a claw-induced laceration on the back of my neck and flicked it into my mouth. You mind if I smoke? I don't care. She huffed as she started petting the dogs. It's your house. Or is it that bitches? Although I continued to avoid locking eyes with her, I heard her voice starting to give way to whimpering. They... Please answer the question. Why aren't they going to pay me? I thought we all discussed how the system was going to work. No one was going to get paid until we refunneled the cash we made from the heroin into buying new heroin that wasn't stolen from the Battlesnakes. I stepped back. I'm not blaming you, but that is what we all agreed on. It was all really simple. She hugged Leroy's big hairy mane. I've be getting high with them for a while now. They've been giving me heroin. My eyes shut. Concerned, I continued to calm the conversation. I thought we agreed that you wouldn't use if I let you live here. You told me that since you'd been on the street, you didn't use that much and that you didn't even really like it. Trying to camouflage her response under the thundering tongues of Leroy and skillet-guzzling bathwater, she quietly admitted... I lied petting her head I asked so you've been using this whole time that's not what I lied about remembering why I hated kids I steadied my hand okay what did you lie about figuring that a day full of surprises had come to an end I looked over to her nonchalantly she answered pretty much everything Huh? The first night I came over here, you remember, right? Yes. I exhaled. How could I forget? You were supposed to be my first screw. I just met the pimp you killed that day. I only ran away from home at the beginning of the summer. My forehead dropped into my hand that wasn't straddling her skull. Damn it, babe. I should have known that someone who was so lacking in any kind of street smarts could never have been on the streets for two years. I'm sorry, RJ. I, I didn't have anywhere to go. So, you chose here. Here. Of all the places in the world. So, now you're going to tell me that Dez's little assholes have been paying and that you've been stealing my money, Right? Her whimpering built into bulbous teardrops that plopped into the half-full bath. She shrugged away from me and snuck behind her dog guardians. No. No what? Fine. You lied to me so you could go on some romantic vampire adventures that you read about in some dumb books. See? It's not glamorous. In any way. Are you satisfied? As much as I regretted what I said next, at that moment, it felt like all there was to say. Now dry off, and take the money you stole to the bus station, or airport, or wherever, and go home to your mommy and daddy. I didn't steal your money, she said. Instead of giving me the money, I've been asking them to get me high. She clutched onto Leroy, almost strangling him. Then I let them fuck me. What? I shouted as I smashed my t-shirt-covered arm back into the mirror. I'm sorry. I wanted to feel like one of you. I thought if I got high and fucked them that maybe they would bite me and turn me into a vampire. I plucked my hand out of the smashed glass and the rest of the wall behind the vanity. I nabbed my cell phone out of the sink and opened it to call Dez. She lunged toward me, trying to grab the phone. Don't tell them I told you, she pleaded frantically. Don't call them. Dez's voicemail picked up. Dez, it's RJ. Did you know that your little idiots are raping bait? What's going on? We agreed that she would help us and that none of this could ever happen. I hung up the phone and tossed it back into the sink. Des knows. What do you mean Des knows? Des was the first one to fuck me. Too mad to think, much less speak, I raced to the door, grabbed my phone again and called Tahoe. He picked up Yo, RJ. Tell everyone to get to the goddamn garage now I screamed. Relax. Relax nothing. Make sure every one of you sorry-ass motherfuckers are there. Now! But... No buts! Des isn't picking up his phone. Make sure that little twat and all his lemmings are there. I hung up and furiously stomped and huffed and puffed around, looking for a sweatshirt. Bate lifted herself out of the tub, using Skillet's head. There's more? Like what? Like all that isn't enough! I yelled you little liar I stormed out of the house whatever other lies she had in store for me would have to wait until after I dealt with Dez I think we all know why we're here I said to a packed garage of knucklers Dez was the only one missing I left bait at home the meeting was no place for children nobody spoke they all just looked down. So, no one has anything to say to me. They continued to look at the silk-covered cement. I walked over to Tahoe. Nothing to say, huh? Big man. It, it It's just... I fired into his ear like a drill sergeant. What the fuck is wrong with you all? You big, retarded twat! You have killed hundreds of people you didn't like. As a matter of fact, I saw you rip a guy to pieces. Well, that's right. Pieces. For giving you a cooked-up bag full of ephedrine. That's nice. Who was there to clean up your mess that time? I swat a Tahoe on the back of the head and continued down the line. Parker, how many family pets have you shredded and filled with heroin? No red flags there? Most fucking coyotes don't leave syringes next to their prey. I stood over him and shoved him into the ground. I held his face to the floor. Who cleaned up your stupid little ass when you were passed out in some old lady's backyard? I guess we can just say that you're lucky that the sun didn't come up. Struggling to talk, he hacked out. You! Pico laughed. I jumped across the room. Did you just laugh, you twisted old fuck? I grabbed both his legs and pulled them out from under him. When his back hit the ground, I flicked my arms outward and snapped both of his femurs. Why don't you tell everyone here about when you tried to anally rape a batwanger? Feel free. Who saved your ass that time? No red flags there, either. We had to kill it and ditch its body. I picked him up by one of his broken limbs and launched him through the windshield of the Nova. And the rest of you ungrateful piss-ants. I have a story for every single one of you. That would be except for you hyped, bottom-feeding nobodies who somehow managed to sneak into my gang without my knowledge. That's right. My gang. The Pee-wee stood in the corner... They all had their faces hidden behind their wannabe des emo hair. Not for long, one of them whispered. I knew who it was. The one who had been cleaning our house. It was the little prick that wised off to me all the time. I hope I didn't just hear something from you, kid. This isn't a fraternity. I jumped over to him. Do you and all your bunnies think that I would give a squirt of shit for you at all? This isn't about being in some clubhouse with your fudge friends. This is about survival. The kid looked up from his gloomy days. Death says you're soft. Don't do anything, RJ, Tahoe yelled from across the garage. I grabbed the kid by his hands. A fury went through my body that was different than knocking someone off to get high. I'm not sure what Des has taught you about being a vampire, but there is something that I'm pretty sure he was too lazy to teach you. The other Desian stepped backward. What's the matter, boys? I'm sure you don't know either. They took another step back. I guess we can all learn a lesson today, can't we? Tahoe yelled from across the room. RJ, don't do this. We can get through this. Cobra and Copperhead don't know anything. I turned to him. Shut up. I pinned the kid's head down on a table. There is this funny thing that you can't learn from Hollywood movies about what you are. Even more so. You can't learn it from drug addicts you see on TV. I told him and shoved his left hand into his own mouth. I'm a drug addict. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a gang member. With his chin pinned like a vice, I use the top of his head to crush and chew through his own fingers, digit by digit, directly through his hand to the wrist.
1: Please, please, God stop.
2: I can't understand you. Are you... still hungry? I pulled his right arm away, breaking it behind his back. Then, I shoved that hand in and used his teeth again, even though some were falling out due to the strength of the bone. I hammered away at the top of his head with my palm. Gore flew everywhere. His choking intensified, and once I got him down to his second nub, I chucked his ass across the room. I wiped my hands off on my pants. Tahoe looked at me shocked. You have something to say, Tahoe. Does anyone else have something to fucking say to me? The big man looked at his shoes. No. Why don't you tell everyone here the big secret that you have apparently all forgotten to pass on to these disrespectful children? Tahoe mumbled. Again, I can hear you but let's make sure they can hear you, too. Limbs. Limbs don't grow back. I looked at the kid in the corner. One of his boys trying desperately to wrap his stumps with grease rags. Not much of a badass knuckler anymore, are you? Big mouth. Pico. When your legs heal go drop this wise ass off in an alley. He didn't make the cut. Let him starve to death. I surveyed the rest of the Desians and pointed at them with my index finger and my pinky. You don't rape little girls. If you think that I'm soft, then so be it. Step up and tell me how big of a pussy I am. They all looked at their friend at the corner and then back to the floor. If you enjoyed tonight's story, please be sure to join us again next week for the continuation of Drew Steppich's Knuckle Supper. Knuckle Supper ultimate gutter fix edition and its critically acclaimed sequel Knuckleballed are available now from Bloodbound Books also please consider making a donation to Children of the Night today and help end teen prostitution and human trafficking Children of the Night is a privately funded non-profit organization established in 1979 with the specific purpose of providing intervention in the lives of children who are sexually exploited and vulnerable to, or involved in, prostitution and pornography. Visit childrenofthenight.org for more information today. From author Drew Stepek and all of us here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, thanks for listening and for your support. For more than 20 years, Drew Stepek has written, produced, and directed for the publishing, online, and entertainment industries. Drew has worked for Film Threat, Sci-Fi Universe, Wild Cartoon Kingdom, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Saturday Night Live, The Profiler, The Pretender, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and ESPN. In the past ten years, the author ventured into creative directing and ideation roles involving entertainment and technology marketing for Davy Brown Entertainment and Straight-Up Technologies. In 2012, Sevick took a position as the head of branded entertainment for Makanema. He has also been a creative director at Awesomeness TV and is currently the head of integrated marketing at All Deaf Media. Born in Royal Oak, Michigan, Stepek moved around a bit as a young man and finally found his home in Hollywood, California in 1994. Stepek attended Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. His first novel, Godless, was released 666, June 6th, 2006, and has since captured a strong underground following. Currently, Stepek is working on the sequels to Knuckle Supper and Knuckle Bald. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson, under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show if you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode and please leave us a 5 star review and a comment your feedback means a lot to me You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, And if you could, please leave a kind word, or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.